that particular uh, subject. And there was a song that got in my head on the way to church, and it's been in there all day. And I figured the most therapeutic way to do that is for us to sing it together. And so the guys up in the booth have got that projected. I can't remember if it's been sung here. It was led by me. How many of you recognize this song at all? Okay, there's enough hands that we're going to try that. We'll sing it slow. It's a very easy song. It is the story of the prodigal son, lyrically rendered. And it's beautiful. We're going to sing all five verses of that before we get into the lesson. I promise I'll take it out of my sermon, not out of your time. We'll, uh, we'll sing all five verses. Short song. It's very beautiful. Uh, it's very difficult to look at the words of this song and not uh, be impacted uh, by the, the power of the words. <clears throat> Love for all and can it be can I hope it is for me I who strayed so long ago that time I think that's a record beautiful song do you see 
We're all the, the prodigal. I love the way that the songwriter portrays that. A little over a decade ago, I was asked at Polishing the Pulpit to address a novel subject at the time, and the title that I was given was, uh, Help My Teen or Young Adult is Addicted to Social Media. Now, you have to recall it at the time, 2012, the early 2010s, social media was still somewhat of a, a new invention, if you will. The platforms of social media had not been available even a decade at that point. There was MySpace, and then in 2007, commercially available across the United States, you had Facebook, really the first social media platform or uh, network that was available. And of course, it's proliferated since that time. But given the environment of the time, this seemed to be an issue that was focused on preteens and teenagers and young adults. Isn't it amazing how in just that short period of time, social media has so morphed that there's no way we would say that it was a, or is an issue that is bound to one generation alone. I want us to think about what God's Word has to say about our subject tonight. You know, when we think about what uh, Apple did in their massive campaign, do you remember maybe back to 2009 that they trademarked the slogan, there's an, ad, an app for that? Do you remember that? That had to do with all of their product ads. And really, just go to the, to the Apple or the Google or whatever store that you go to to look for an app, and it seems like even within the body of Christ, there's an app for just about everything. It's been developed so that whatever we wanted to explore or do, it's there in the app store. Well, the longer that I preach and the longer that I live, I am convinced that if there is an issue that concerns our lives, 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, as it pertains to life and godliness, then there is a text for that. Maybe not in all situations do we have a single text that is devoted to a subject that may concern us. But I believe that this is a subject where there are multiple passages and maybe a primary text that can help us to sort through what is an issue that perhaps is so pervasive that we have just totally forgotten or, or no longer look at it as an issue anymore? And so the question is, is there a text for addiction to social media? I mean, I don't recall ever reading anywhere about the Apostles' Facebook page. Or I don't look and see on Instagram or on TikTok that there's a visual record of the Ethiopian eunuch's baptism. But what's amazing to me is that a Bible has such a remarkable economy of space. As we often say, 1,189 chapters, 31,104 verses. That it is a book of comprehensive ability to address an issue, whatever it is that we face, which is a hallmark and trademark that this book must be written by God. Now before we look a little closer at the text that may be helpful to us as we look at our subject tonight, I want us to consider that maybe there are some other issues aside from addiction, which we'll talk about later in this lesson for us to bring to mind. That first of all, when we think about some issues or problems that can come about through social media, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but maybe to quantify it, is that there are time issues. 
I don't know if you've gone to look and see how it breaks down by averages and by surveys for the average social media viewer or user in this country and in this world. As it relates to the amount of time that the average social media users uh, use every day, it is 151 minutes a day. That the average smartphone user looks at their phone 159 times a day. Now, we've nuanced that. We're a little bit slicker now because it doesn't have to be actually looking at the device itself. We may have a smartwatch. And we can very subtly, where we think nobody is noticing, look at that device. Four trillion hours were spent by social media users in consumption of that in this last year. And so there's a time issue that's involved in this. There's also an etiquette issue involved. Perhaps we've gotten better at that, but as smartphones really began to be a proliferation in our society, and yet even still today, we can sometimes ignore the relationships that are right in front of us for the virtual ones. And we might even interrupt the actual conversations that we're having in order to go to our texts or our notifications or our messages that was with somebody who's not even in the room. It can test the moral fabric or the social fabric of our society. So there's etiquette issues to address. There are also speech issues that can come about through social media. We talk about the keyboard warriors and a mentality that can arise when we're not actually having to do face-to-face interaction with others. and So it gives rise to some speech issues that would not exist otherwise. I'm talking about things like slander that's freely published on social media platforms. Or it might be profanity that we haven't necessarily filtered ourselves enough and we place that out there, or it could be sexually suggestive material. Or it might be gossiping or disputing. You know, it's easy for us in that forum of feeling like we're anonymous, forget what God says even to the Christian, that our speech is to be with grace, as though seasoned with salt so that we may know how we ought to answer every man. Colossians 4 and verse 6. Colossians 3 and verse 8 says that we're to put away slander and abusive speech and so there can be an issue with our speech when it comes to the use of social media. And then there are moral problems that can arise. And this can happen in more than one way. It could be that we find ourselves posting pictures of ourselves or our friends who are at places and doing things that God's people should not be doing that's contrary to the will of God and the word of God. But it can also be a vehicle in which we engage with the opposite sex of someone who's not our spouse through private messaging. Or it could be a vehicle or a gateway into pornography or a use in which pornography is found. And so we look at some of the issues that have nothing to do with addiction. But what I want us to do is to look at our passage. I hope that you have your Bible still turned to Romans chapter 6, verse 11 through 23. So by way of further introduction, I want us to notice what this text says to us. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, this text shows us that there is something for us to consider. All of us, wherever we live on this earth. And what Paul says that we are to consider is ourselves dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. 
That if we are a child of God, we have made a decision not to be dead in sin, but by our obedience to God through the grace of Jesus Christ, that we're dead to sin and we're now alive. And considering that, there are some things that we cannot submit ourselves to or yield ourselves to. And then we see in this text in Romans 6, verse 13 through verse 19, that there is something to present What we are to present according to verse 13 through 19 is our bodies and our lives. We're to present ourselves as slaves to one of two masters. We're either going to present our bodies and our lives to sin to be at its disposal for its purposes. Or we're going to present our bodies and our lives as instruments under righteousness to be its slave, to be at its disposal. But then this text also shows us that there is something to obey that all of us are going to have a master. Verse 16 and 17, it's going to be sin or it's going to be righteousness. And then we see that there is something to receive in verse 20 through 23, that whatever choice that we make, that on the other side of that there is something to be gained or lost. If we make the choice to make sin our master, then there's eternal death. But if we make the choice to submit to the grace of Christ, there's the gift of God which is eternal life. Now these are in the background. I believe that this is a text that can be helpful for us in looking at our phones, in looking at our internet usage, and particularly as we think about social media. I believe if my statistics are correct that five-eighths of the planet all over the world, first country through third country, are engaged in Facebook with all social media put together near six billion. And so we think about the, uh, uh, our size tonight, that this would hit so much of us, a great majority of us. So let's notice a few things tonight from Romans chapter 6 in our text. First of all, what we've got to do is to determine whether or not what we're talking about is an addiction. When we think about anything, it is possible for something to become an addiction, but not everything that we say is an addiction is an addiction. When we look at addiction by way of definition, Webster would tell us that it is an unhealthy or an inordinate interest in making something or doing something or an unhealthy interest in something. Gary Collins, a renowned psychologist, says that addiction is that which is a compulsion that slowly grows in its assertion of power and control over a person. And so when we look at any addiction, there are going to be some commonalities that are going to arise from this. And what we need to do is to see what Scripture says about whether or not something has control over us. Now, the idea of spiritual slavery is not something that's unique to one passage of the Bible. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12 says that all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And another writer, Peter, would say in 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 19, For by what one is overcome, by this he is enslaved. But Paul says something that really drives the point home in Romans chapter 6. He says that we all have masters, verse 14, that we obey. And so when we look at this idea of addiction, this strong devotion, and this being drawn into something, we need to realize that an addiction can be a good thing. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Apostle Paul says that the household of Stephanus has addicted themselves under the service of the saints. This word is from that word family in Acts 2 and verse 42 that says that the first Christians, when they became Christians, they devoted themselves steadfastly, continuously to those things that we read about like doctrine and to the breaking of bread and prayers and in fellowship. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 5, Paul is on the second missionary journey. And the Bible says that he was devoting himself completely. The King James says he was pressed in spirit. It was a good thing. He devoted himself. But the point is that whether it is something that's positive that leads to life or if it's something negative that leads to death, it is something that we can quantify whether or not something is addictive in its nature. When we come to find out what's involved in addiction, there are three factors. Two of them are objective, and one of them is subjective. So when we look at those factors, we need to ask ourselves, is what I'm doing a habit? All right, so there's the habitual factor. The second is, is it something that is repetitious? And the third thing is, is it something that is difficult or impossible to control? So we see that first one up on the screen behind me, and that is that when we look at social media, we ask ourselves, is it something that is habitual? Now, that's objective. That can be measured. And the Global Web Index gives astounding figures. I didn't believe that it was true. Now, you may have some way to monitor this on your device, but did you know that GWI says that the average person in America is on the web for an average of seven hours a day? Now maybe it's running in the background. I don't know that that indicates that somebody has their eyeballs on the screen the whole time, but that's the average. And 35% of that time is spent on social media platforms. Now my math isn't all that great, but that seems to me to be about two to three hours every day in social media. So that's an objective standard. If the one is an average social media user, then we would have to say two to three hours today is or constitutes a habit. Well, then there's that second one, the idea of is it repetition? Again, if this average is a daily average, then we would have to say that by repeating that day after day, that it is repetitious. So with regard to the first two, these are things that can be objectively measured. You can look at, you can do a journal, you can chart how much time you're on social media. And then you could then deduce from that that it is repetitious. But what about that third one? This is a little bit more difficult. This is subjective. And that is, is it difficult or impossible for me to refrain from it? Is it a compulsion? Well, with regard to that, there are some questions that we can ask. How difficult or impossible do I find it to step away from it? Number two, how difficult is it for me or does it interfere with my relationships? How much does it get between me and my everyday life? And again, this is subjective. We've got to evaluate ourselves. I know we may have a spouse or a parent or a child who's all too willing to do that for us, but as I look at myself... Is it in the way? And what happens if I am separated from it for a period of time? How does it affect my mood? How does it affect me socially? All of these are factors that can help us to answer whether or not something is compulsive. That subjective part of addiction. 
Dr. Stephanie Parmalee is a psychologist at Mercy Medical Group, and she studied for a long period of time a large sample size of youth that were exposed to four hours or more of social media a day, and their ability to sustain happiness was far less than those who had less than an hour of social media time a day. And in the measurement of that, what she uh, indicated was that those who are exposed, teens or adults, to large quantities of social media consumption find themselves irritable and moody. They find themselves depressed and also find themselves in an inability to focus on one thing at a time and a greater difficulty in finding satisfaction. There was a woman named Laura Stack who was the so-called productivity pro back when all of these things were beginning to emerge from email to text messages to social media platforms. And she called social media digital quicksand. It's very easy for us to find ourselves down the hole of social media. And it has an impact on us. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that there is nothing that should be a slave in our life, uh, that we should be a slave to other than Jesus Christ. And we need to be very careful that we look at our own consumption and our interaction with social media and ask myself, is it habitual? Is it therefore repetitive? And if I'm honest with myself, is it something that's difficult or impossible for me to control? Well, there's something else that comes out of this study that helps us, and that has to do with the consequences. If I find myself engaged in social media addiction, there are some consequences. When we find ourselves in addiction habitually and repetitively engaged in something in which we find it very compulsive, it can have an impact on us. There are consequences. They're physical, they're emotional, and they're spiritual. Well, when we consider what the Apostle Paul says, he points to all three of those aspects in who it is that we're serving. He says that the road to spiritual slavery is leading somewhere. And we consider social media as it exists. By the way, I've intended to say this if I haven't said it. We all are in agreement that social media is a neutral commodity. And it can do so much good. It has. We don't know how many people are going to be in heaven as the result of the, the posts, in the, as the result of sharing media that has led people who are searching to the truth. And by virtue of their either studying an article that was written or seeing a sermon that was posted in video or some other means, they have been exposed to the truth and have learned it and maybe even obeyed it. And how often has it been the gateway to inspirational thoughts and positive encouragement That has maybe made a difference in somebody's life who are at a very low, low. And so when we talk about social media and its addictive qualities, we need to realize that if we let let it overcome us and become a power in our lives, and it takes over our lives, that's where the concern needs to be. Well, the Apostle Paul deals with three areas in our text having to do with who our master is. And that is that we need to be clear about the consequences that it can have bodily. Well, when we examine, observe social media, it is a tactile experience. That is, by its very design, it is meant to involve our senses. It's meant to involve our eyes. As social media has evolved, we see that it is much more graphics dependent. 
It is much more interactive. And it's ever evolving in order to keep our minds stimulated and engaged in that. We see it. We consume it through our eyes. But thanks to smartphones, it is also a tactile experience in that it involves the sense of touch. Where we have it in our hands and we manipulate it in our hands. The Apostle Paul says that we're not to yield our members or our bodies as slaves to sin, that we should obey its lusts. So that may have to do with where we're going or how we are positioning that in the priorities of our lives. Paul says it should not reign in our bodies. Again, Dr. Parmalee has something to say about the impact that it physiologically takes place in any kind of addictive quality. And the studies are prolific that social media usage can become addictive. There is a chemical that's released in the brain that is associated with addiction. It is a commodity that God has created us with. It's the pleasure center of the brain. produces dopamine. And when we're exposed to something that is, has a pleasurable quality about it, dopamine is released in the body. And it can contribute to our really desiring strongly the thing that uh, has caused the dopamine effect. And Parmalee says that through social media addiction, what we have is a Pavlov response. We are drawn in by every ring and every ding, and we've got to go and attend to that and take care of that, except that we're not passively waiting to receive a reward. We are actively receiving that through the likes and through the validation that comes through social media. And so there's a physical side to this. The Apostle Paul also tells us there's an intellectual and emotional side to this. The consequences of any addiction. Paul says that we present ourselves. We put ourselves at the disposal. Everything that we're talking about involves our free will and our choice. We make a decision about what it is that is going to be the ruler or the master of our life. We need to keep in mind that it's not a matter of if we're going to have a master. The question is, who or what is that master going to be? And so Paul would indicate to us the intellectual aspect of addiction. And then spiritually speaking, there is the, what Paul says about that consequence. In Romans chapter 6, verse 20 through 23. If we allow anything other than Christ to be what is our, <clears throat> our main priority, Matthew 6, or our greatest affection, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, then the end result of that can be spiritual death. Paul says that these things produce death, Romans 6 and verse 21. I don't want to be overly dramatic, but as the result of what is reigning in our heart and our lives, that's going to be the master that we serve, and it will lead to life, Or it will lead to death. But then third, I want us to consider the idea of the power of our example. You know, remember what I said at the beginning of this lesson, that when this topic was first introduced, it was thought to be an issue that our young people dealt with, that preteens and teens and young adults uh, dealt with. And perhaps that was the case at one time, but I don't think that there's an age cap on this anymore. But when we think about what we're talking about, what we would have to confess is that everything in life is a learned behavior. Now, we have called for some time young adults and teenagers digital natives. Entering into a world in which the internet has only always existed. 
And when you think about their world, it's much easier for every innovation that comes along for them to just innately know and understand. And for those of us who are a little bit older, it's a steeper curve for us to learn all the changes that are involved. But when we think about the internet itself, this surprised me. I know it's the fact because I've lived through it. But the internet has been around since 1995. That's a generation and a half. And so we have uh, been acclimating ourselves to this all along the way. But when we think about how these uh, platforms work, do you notice that they're always changing? Maybe you've been on social media for many years, but they're always updating the, the, the platform. That's to keep us stimulated and engaged. Media consumption is an issue, and with all addictions, a lot of times it may be hard for us to admit that these things are learned and so often in the home. When we think about media, before there was social media, there was traditional media. And the television was invented, commercially made available in the late 1940s. Nielsen is a rating company that has been measuring people's viewing almost from the beginning in the early 1950s. The radio preceded that, but Marconi's invention didn't have the same addictive quality. There's something about having a picture that draws us in. And since Nielsen has been measuring how often... People watch TV and traditional media. Those numbers have been going up. When we think about some of the more recent statistics that have been found, in 2000, Nielsen said that the average American views four hours of television and traditional type media, movies and so forth, on average a day. In 2014, the study was done again, and the numbers were found to be four hours and 50 minutes. And then in 2020... I don't know if it was after the pandemic was fully underway, but when the numbers came out, they couldn't have measured its impact. It was still four hours a day. But for those 50 to 64, it was six hours a day. And for those 65 and older, it was seven hours a day. Sometimes behaviors are learned as they're observed. And they're not necessarily just the things that we do with TV and traditional media. What about us? As we have social media accounts, are we setting time limits on ourselves? Do we find our faces buried in our phones? Do we find ourselves distracted from the real relationships right in front of us? Are we neglecting those who should be more important in our lives while we are looking at or engaged in our social media? You know... If you look at that picture, I don't know how well you can see it. It looks far away from my perspective. But that picture that should be on your left was taken in 1975 in Rockmart, Georgia. It's hard for me to believe. That's almost 50 years ago. I'm in the picture lower down from that. You can't see me in there. But if you look long enough, you can see features in my mom and dad that you can see in me. Now, I know that there are some things that you would see that are different But there are a lot of things that would look very familiar. Now, if you look at that picture on the right, how many of you know Carl? Do you know Carl? That's Carl, isn't it? That's not Carl. Now, there's a fifth-grade picture of him that looks almost identical to that, just a different shirt and a little bit brighter color of the picture. But there's no way anybody can say that he belongs to anybody else but me. He bears all the features, and we look alike. 
You know, our homes are leaving an imprint on others. And as we think about our usage of media, we're leaving behind a legacy that others are following. Think about the power of influence. I don't know. I can't read your minds. I can see your faces, but I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know if you're thinking this is not a lesson I need at all. Or maybe there are some who are saying, boy, this hits awfully close to home. In your heart of hearts, it may not be something you're willing to share with anybody that you're riding home with tonight, but maybe you're thinking that I'm spending too much time to the neglect of something else or the omission of it because of social media. What can I do? Are there some steps that I can take that can help me with regard to breaking free from addiction. As it would be with any kind of addiction, there are some principles that can help us to maybe get a firmer hand on and a better grip on something that could be addictive to us. The first thing that we can do in taking action is set a time limit. You know, Experian Credit Reporting says that for every hour that people spend on the Internet, they spend 16 minutes and social media viewing. I don't know what a reasonable time is. I can't be the one that answers that. No one else can. But we need to understand how we are stewards of our time as well as every other commodity and resource that we have, and we need to make the most of it according to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16. And so maybe what we need to do is to hold ourselves accountable or get someone else to do that or use devices on our phone that can help us to measure in reality how much time that we're setting. Discuss what a good threshold would be and don't exceed the threshold. But then number two, build real-time relationships. You know, relationships are hard. Even when we're communicating and saying words to one another. You know you've been on the receiving and the giving end of this when you come home at the end of the day and the question is asked, or maybe you ask the question, how was your day? And the person says, fine. Well, what does fine mean? Does fine mean Fine. What does fine mean? Fine. There's a difference between those two. But it takes the medium of real-time communication to figure that out. That's difficult in our online relationships. You know, you ever gotten a text from somebody and you were all, you're just almost bent in two trying to figure out? What do they mean by that? Maybe you asked them, how was your day? And they said, fine. No punctuation, no emojis, just the word. You're left to wonder, do they mean it's fine or do they mean there's a big problem and we need to talk about that? You see, God made us social creatures. And it's important for us to work on those real-time relationships and use what God has given us. God said in Genesis chapter 2, it's not good for man to be alone. Sometimes we're retreating and we're trying to do all of life only online. We can't do that. We're missing out on some of what God gave us in communication. And that's facial expressions and tone of voice and body language. We need to build our real-time relationships and work on that. Number three, don't rely on social media to either establish or to elevate your mood. You know, with social media, there is so much that I don't understand about all the smart folks that make it available, make that platform running, and not to be disrupted. But as long as there have been social media platforms, there have been instances where that social media failed. And the first big noteworthy one was in 2014. I don't know if you can remember it or not, but it was called the Great Instagram Outage. 
I mean, it was terrible. It was cataclysmic. It was almost an hour that Instagram was down, but it was Saturday about brunch time. And if you remember about that time that people were posting what they had to eat, and so nobody knew. Did you actually eat a meal if nobody saw it? You know, all of that was going on. And back at the time, Twitter was a bigger platform, and people would go there, and they were tweeting about their feelings and their fears because Instagram was down. (laughs) They needed that validation. Hey, but... More recently, a a real serious one happened. October 4th, 2021. Do you remember that? Facebook went out. Seven hours. It nearly crippled the Internet. As people went to all the other social media platforms and Google and slowed them down measurably because people couldn't go where they wanted to go to engage in social media. What if the Internet and social media was gone tomorrow forever? How would that affect your daily life? You see, as we take action, we need to make sure that we're not relying on social media to supply the the needs of our lives. Philippians 4.19, let God supply all of our needs through Christ. But then maybe what we need to do is try a social media fast. I I moved here in August of 2019. Many of you realize that when I came here, I had Facebook. And in 2020, I decided that it was too big of a time drain for me and that I could not master that. And it wasn't good for me spiritually in multiple ways. And so I made the decision that I was going to fast for a long period of time. So far, three years. I'm not even hungry at this point. When we think about a time fast... Setting a a period of time where maybe we pause or move away from social media. Perhaps that's something that you may need to do. If it's something that you feel like may be mastering you and you're not mastering. I don't know how long that might need to be. But if that causes anxiety in you and, and, and great fear or even consternation at the suggestion, maybe that means take a second look at it. Perhaps if we're struggling with, in our heart of hearts, an addiction in this regard, maybe we need a fast from it. But then we also need to practice the Philippian principle, and that's others before self. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, there's something about social media in its darker side, in its uncontrolled side, that puts the focus on us and not on others. We can unwittingly play, my life is better than your life, and you do that through social media. We can find ourselves in a circumstance to where we are focused on our own lives into the ignoring of others. Fox Business consultant Ari Zoldan said that this is the me generation. We're more and more egocentric. It's all me, me, me. But that's not how a child of God thinks. We put our focus on others and how we can lift them up and how we can praise them. And if this is an impediment to us, it's something for us to look at. But then another thing we can do is to seek replacements for the addiction. Whatever we're struggling with spiritually, Paul says the remedy lies in this, that we are to put off the old man, we're to be renewed in our mind, and we're to put on the new man, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 22. And we can draw strength for some passages that tell us that there's no battle that's bigger than Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, if it's a temptation for us, there's a way of escape. That we can do whatever our challenge is with Christ by our side. The one who empowers us and the one who strengthens us. I don't know if you need to take any or all of these actions. 
Again, remember, I haven't been on social media in three years. I have no idea what you're doing. But you may find yourself in a situation where you need to take back control over that part of your life because Christ is threatened to be replaced by something else. I'd never heard of this before until Kathy and I started dating. I love it. Just not my, my mom and dad were not quite as warm and fuzzy as, as Kathy's mom and dad were. And they had this little thing that Kathy introduced to me when we first started dating. It's called the family triangle. It's me, you, and God, our family. And the idea behind that triangle, and maybe you can see that in the text behind me, is that the closer that we get to God, the closer that we get to one another. And it was impressive to me that her mom and dad would send her cards and letters and they would have these little triangles at the very end and it would have the abbreviation of Y-M-G, you, me, God. That's how we're made complete. I think that's a beautiful way to look at life. This idea that if we have this and we're going closer to God, then we're going closer to one another. But there are things that can crowd that out, aren't there? There's the essentials of life that can do that. Things we've got to get done. Things like our work and sleep and exercise. There's personal devotion. There's worship together. uh, And there's errands that need to be run. And on top of that, there are the extras, the things we like to do. There's our hobbies. There's our social life. There's social media. And then there are, in addition to those, those things that are emergencies, whether it's family or financial problems or tragedies or illness. And before long... So much can crowd out what should belong in that triangle. The Apostle Paul says is that by what one is overcome, Peter says, by that they are overcome. Paul says, let's make Jesus our master and be enslaved to him. May I remind you that this is not a lesson for you to monitor or manage your spouse's, your children's, or your parents' social media usage. Let's internalize this. Let's look and see how we're doing in this regard. We don't want anything, whatever it is, and it could be any number of things outside of social media, to have rule and contrain over us. God wants us to have one master, and that's his son. This evening it may be that you've not yet submitted your will to the master. The beautiful lesson of this morning reminds us that there's a father who's waiting with outstretched arms that there are those that make up the family of God, and I know it's true here, who wait anxiously for those who need to come back home. God is, is not only the one who is anxiously waiting, but the spiritual family here is as well. If you've never yet named Him Lord, you're ready to do that, to act on your faith, to repent and be baptized. It's going to be our privilege to help you when Mike gets up and leads us that song. Or maybe you want to wait till everybody's kind of gone and, and then you do that in a more private setting. We can do that too. If you're a child of God who needs us to pray for you, for strength, for uh, perhaps something that needs to change in your life, and we can help you, I want you to do that right now as together we stand and sing.